Welcome to the Body Clock Podcast. Today I'm excited to announce we'll be having Dr. Jack Kreindler, who is a mentor for me, and he is also the founder of the Center of Health and Human Performance, as well as being an advisor to several startups and cutting-edge technology firms in the health arena. Jack trained as a doctor for 10 years in the emergency department, and he has a specialist interest in altitude physiology. Jack is very involved in the human optimization, longevity um, space. I first came across Jack at UCL whilst he gave a compelling speech and talk on his involvement with Singularity University and how exponential medicine and technology will change our lives. I found it particularly interesting how technology is advancing so quickly and Jack being a very familiar face in Silicon Valley is at the forefront of this change. I'm excited to be discussing a range of topics on this podcast with Jack and I feel we it's going to be an amazing one and we'll get some amazing insights. We'll be discussing O-Waves and how Jack lives his life and how he tries to optimise his health and the views on different developments which are happening in the digital health space. So I'm looking forward to this podcast very much. Um, so let's get started. How are you uh, at the moment like practicing like a lot of these lifestyle medicine approaches yourself? Because I know you have a very strong like background in terms of all these different projects that you've been a part of. The one that sort of appeals to me most is like your work with the CHHP. Is that something that you're still involved with every day or? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So CHHP is uh, the institute I founded 11 years ago um, with uh, my team of uh, now 40 um, scientists and specialists in human performance science and elite sports medicine. And essentially what we do is we apply what you might want to call the secret source, um, which is not very secret, it's all good science, of, of uh, elite sports medicine and, and sports performance. And, and what we do is we work, of course, with athletes, um, either to get them back on track or winning gold medals or performing better, but more importantly, to work um, with two other uh, groups of people. One are very sick cancer patients and um, most, mostly relevant to you, the kind of you know global traveling, super busy person, executive founder, uh, or, or just people living busy working lives uh, who want to run circles half around people half their age and uh, keep on going you know, to, to look after their young families and, and older parents and, and so on. And that's so about a third of our clients are elite athletes, a third are, uh, you know, the lifestyle, if you want to call it that um, uh, kind of category. And then the third of the, the, the very critically ill cancer patient. Very good. And so uh, are you tailoring like the uh, the the approach to each one of those groups, like on an individual by individual basis? Or is there sort of like a like a structured approach that you're taking with them? Um, Cause I find yeah, that there's a very structured approach. Uh, you know, we, we, we do the traditional non-scientific, extremely brilliant and important deep forensic analysis and history of uh, their, 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 their medical uh, health and uh, performance. Uh, um, and you know, that's just basically asking questions in good old traditional taking a thorough medical history way, uh, which we've kind of in some ways forgotten to do really uh, relying on diagnostics and tests. And then from there, we understand what it is that we'll do in our physiology lab, whether it's cardiovascular, pulmonary and metabolic testing, whether it's um, uh, body composition analysis, what bloods we might want to do that they haven't already had done, and uh, and so on and so forth. And, and then once we get those results, 
we will then build a program which just as in you know a kind of uh, an olympic sport environment operates around kind of a three-month training cycle uh, where you know after 12 13 weeks you've put a plan together you've had some biomarkers or objectives that you're trying to achieve you've built a a, a plan around exercise physiology the fuel to um the nutrition to fuel that the rest and recovery and sleep to uh, that is necessary to make that um, all of those good things happen in your body that build up your um, uh, your, your, your 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 you know repair and 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 and, and your muscle structure and so on um, and and then also I think the fourth aspect which is very important to us is like your headspace your cognition the, the, your state of mind and um, th that is what we would call a program and whether you're an elite athlete or a very sick cancer patient or an exec or whatever it's still the same thing you know you still have objectives it's a 30 uh, 30 month um sorry um plan and involves sleep mind nutrition and uh, exercise physiology you know so that's it and that's i love that you say that because a lot of that falls directly in line with what always tries to do in terms of scheduling your day and allowing people to sort of create a visual that they themselves put down so that they can sort of remind yes. themselves of their daily habits but somebody who's as busy and um, involved with so many different projects as yourself how do you find the time during the day to sort of balance out all those elements in your own personal life Oh, in my own personal life. Well, sleep, well, I, I've been a believer in the restorative sleep hypothesis myself for a, for a very long time before really. I, I mean, I remember at medical school, we probably got one hour on sleep apart from sleep apnea as being a thing. Um, <laughs> that was really insufficient considering we spent a third of our lives uh, doing it. There is a probably a good biological rationale for why it is that we sleep. Um, in fact, if you think about any single activity, it is the one single activity we do more of than anything else right yeah um so so it's it's incredibly important so uh, you know for me whether i'm traveling across multiple time zones which is what i do you know on a very routine basis maybe 15 transatlantic flights a year um where i'm at home with my family uh, making sure that my circadian rhythm my sleep is as optimized and as synchronized as possible is is incredibly important and um i think that's sort of like the the basis of everything to get you know when are you going to be awake when are you going to be asleep okay number one <laughs> then you know when you're awake of course it's uh what you do when you first wake up when do you eat do you fuel yourself for exercise do you if you're not going to do anything but sit on your butt for the next five hours you know do you stuff yourself full of an incredible amount of you know uh, simple carbohydrates maybe not <laughs> if you're going to run to work maybe yes um and you know deciding what it is that you're going to do, where, uh, what you're, how you're going to fuel that, when you're going to take breaks, um, and you know where do you fit in amongst all the work that you've got to do, the time for for headspace, the time for moving your body outside of the general activity uh, that you're doing, um, and uh, yeah, uh, and the time to eat. Yeah. So, so Jack, it seems you 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 already kind of work as an algorithm. You're very um, flexible, and your decision making is very dependent on the activities you're performing whereas certain individuals um they don't change what they're eating or they're very kind of um inflexible when it comes to their lifestyle um not realizing that these principles should change according to your you know load or stress load or activity level 
Mm. Um, so, so you're kind of always micromanaging your life. Would you say that's true? My, my diet, look, when we were swimming in the sea, maybe when we decided that actually the oceans were not as cool as uh, drinking tequilas on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we evolved out of the sea and then we thought okay you know maybe the beach isn't as cool as the forests and stuff <laughs> eventually yeah. eventually we became us but we've only been doing this crazy stuff like crossing transatlantic you know time zones for a very very short period of time generally life has been a pretty ordinary structured thing until we started traveling an awful lot you know we, we essentially had a we slept more in winter than we did in summer uh, we ate food seasonally um you know apart from war and mishap and illness and so on things were pretty simple um and now even when there is no war and mishap life is complicated you should have a look at my diary my diary looks more like a stained glass was a uh, <laughs> thing um i don't think any day that i've ever done is the same yeah um <laughs> so, yeah, i mean your diary seems something that <laughs> micromanagement of course you have to micromanage it because your life is no longer an ordered structured thing i mean can you recite what you did this week like i can't actually <laughs> in bits and pieces no. <laughs> you can't and you know in a world uh, more connected with different types of people where we don't have 50 friends we have 5,000 friends um you know we we do have to look you, you can either say okay let's be completely sort of traditional about it and just eat when we get hungry um uh, but really we don't live in that world anymore and if you don't live in a kind of blue zone where everything is normal <laughs> same yeah, everything yeah. and so on um, you, you've got to get wise. And we live in a technology-enabled world that's helped us to live longer. You need technology uh, to help you learn how and when to um, to structure your day. So, so for me, my calendar is probably one of the most important things. My calendar tells me, and I build now into my calendar, um, when, you know, just literally, it's not, it's, it's, it's not obsessive, but it's like, oh, there's a gap. Okay, what am I going to do there? Hmm. <laughs> that's some time to eat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This brilliant is, this is when i'm going to move um and then you know using using unusual things like i know it sounds crazy but you know not just it's an alarm but a go to sleep clock you know to be able to say actually it's now time you because you're getting up at 6 30 uh, in the morning <laughs> 8 30 so you've got to go to sleep earlier yeah yeah alexa wakes me up in the morning i know that um <laughs> My so daughter we... wakes me up in the morning. <laughs> okay, so you're still old-fashioned with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no I get that 7:30 uh, wake up. No, there's no question there. <laughs> I like that. So, so you're very um, obviously technologically aligned, and um, you've sp you've obviously been immersed in the Silicon Valley atmosphere. Singularity University. Um, I've heard your talk. And you're quite involved there as well. Um, so you navigate between this American kind of um, startup technology VC world, and then you're also based in London. Mm. Um, can you tell us about more about that, um, about your kind of projects and um, um, interest in to do with tech and lifestyle medicine? Yeah, yeah. I mean, most of my tech stuff is actually less about lifestyle medicine. I would call that health tech rather than kind of med tech. And uh, okay. the, 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 the kind of tech stuff I'm involved with, I think, is a bit more sort of on the hardcore bioengineering and biotech side of things and computational biology and so on. Wow. Um, I, I am 
I'm pretty I'm pretty impressed with the way that people are now able to access cool tools and apps and and lifestyle management things and, and and even you know disease prevention disease optimization stuff through lifestyle with a myriad of of, of options there are for them out there whether they're hardware design devices with software or things that they run on their phone and so on um, and 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 i i think um that's great i was involved in a lot in the past but i i, I think that most of my you know, kind of tech and innovation side of things has gone a bit more hardcore into <laughs> into oh, okay. deep biology, you know, and, uh, discovering new drugs, new classes of molecules, and and so on, um, and maybe new interesting diagnostic things. Um, but I um, that is not to say that I don't think the stuff that's going on in health tech is not important. In fact, I think it's just as important. It's just there's some, you know, fantastic people doing amazing stuff in that space. And uh, it's about the, you know, designing and marketing those things really, really well. For example, Headspace is one of the companies that I advised very, very early on before they were well known. Okay. You know, wow. It's, uh, you know, it's about wow. incredible product. It's about incredible marketing. It's about, you know, you know achieving something which addresses an unmet need um and and you know they're an example of companies done amazingly well um sleepio is another there's a bunch of them you know who, who are doing yeah. some really fantastic stuff uh, and you know just like the sort of work that you guys are doing um with your with, with your startup it's um you know it's brilliant stuff there's tons of tons of I mean, I think the biggest problem with it, you know, from like looking at it from a market perspective is if, if I've got a real institute that's putting these things into practice in real people with real problems or just really busy lives, which ones do I choose? Which ones have the best evidence? Which ones yes. are the most usable? Which ones are the stickiest? Which ones deliver the most value? And in, in fact, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we face really is there's so many people doing this stuff in this unregulated space. Yes. Uh, that, uh, you know which ones do you go for and which that's, ones that's a great point you ch you touch on jack because with behavioral economics uh, we do know when we have too much choice we make no decision so <laughs> yeah the, the more apps there are less likely people are going to be like hey i can't use all of them and there's no one central app where you can kind of track everything because i think it's very difficult to navigate between so many different apps one for nutrition one for exercise one for your rhythm uh biomarkers so there's this it's, it's it's difficult it's not you don't have the time for that so interesting point so, so do you think um you think technology can augment humans can do you think you can make us healthier and because a lot of studies that come out that say that we're addicted to social media and our phones and it's having an effect on our mental health so what, what side of the line do you are you on <laughs> yeah. yeah um i mean what does technology do i mean these days the you know technology most most of what technology does is enable us to do the same thing as we did before m much more quickly with many more people in far more remote parts of the world so we're uh, almost you know, kind of what digital technology has done for us uh you know before you had to <laughs> you know you could you could watch one film a month by going to the cinema now you can watch 30 a month you know, from, 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 your, from your sofa. Um, so I, I, think, I think as we do more things with more people, more remotely, as things digitize um, and our lives become less analog and less touchable and real, there are some issues there because the speed at which we expect a response produces response anxiety. 
hence people get worried about like uh you know um how many likes they have um the the fact that we're 24 7 available to anyone the fact that we're able to do this podcast from very different parts of the world you're in manchester i'm in london <laughs> and and the and the company is down in <laughs> san diego I mean, this is like fairly super crazy right but the <laughs> This also produces an issue because, you know, life has sped up and also the world has shrunk. So, so uh, you know, if you draw, a, if, if you, if you draw a, a map across the world of how, how and where we're able to contact each other through the speed of light, um, it, I don't think there's, a, there's not many places now <laughs> aren't really connected somehow. So what, what we're, you know, what, what I'm saying here is that life has sped up beyond what humans were really designed for um they've and it's resulted in certain stresses pressures anxieties expectations uh, and loads which we weren't particularly designed for uh, and therefore you know you have to kind of either manage and mitigate that um or, or you can use this the same tools to optimize that and you know i I, I still think if you look at the people that live the longest, it's not people with technology, it's people who are actually <laughs> more chill. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's my answer really, is that you know we're using technology to manage the technology effects. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great point. It's like a, it's a, it's a strange like dynamic for sure. It's, it's one of those things where um, uh, the human element is definitely getting a little bit lost in translation with all these different tools and devices and whatnot. And, um, I think it's also I think it's all for a good cause, absolutely. But um, I very much so agree that like as a species, like we've never had this type of access to information before, let alone access to each other before. And I feel like we're sort of in a transition phase where we're still learning how to deal with all this stuff. And um, I, maybe the generations that come down the road will have a better grasp of it. But I certainly feel like it's one of those things where um, for just as much as it helps, it probably hurts. And so uh, I think they're, uh, I guess you would say stronger minds or however you want to phrase it, were probably uh, required to sort of help uh, bring everything uh, back together a little bit to uh, keep those stress levels down. Because I, I very much so, I feel like there's a subtle stressor in my body now just knowing that I'm at the mercy of my calendar and my iPhone, my alarm clock, my text messages and my DMs and all the stuff. And it definitely does, uh, it adds up. <laughs> so... It's, it's, yeah you can't, you can't just turn it off nope that's it yeah absolutely right mm. so hey um what are your thoughts because i know you're very big on like the ar vr space when it comes to like tech um or... yeah so um that's very interesting because i think i mentioned in the previous podcast how there was that harvard business school live virtual classroom that i took part in. and although it was so it was Basically, the objective was to create an MBA classroom where people can tune in from around the world, but it still feels as though the human interaction element is very much present. And to be fair, through the screens, it did feel like I knew those people, even though I wasn't in front of them. But one of the questions, a part of that discussion that was asked was Facebook. Um, so if a study came out that if Facebook um, was deemed to be harmful for children's mental health, you as a company, say if you had a startup, would you, um, um, inter would you still interact to kind of get children to follow you, um, 
same with Instagram pages. And my answer was, I think it is different for different people. So technology, I think, has helped more people than it has um, caused harm to. I've got no stats behind that. But I think it's about learning to use it in the in the right amounts and in the right ways. Um, but that's with, with most things in life. So um, I think it's very hard to, to obviously it's something, it is a double-edged sword. Um, but um, personally, um, I've always had positive experiences. You can do, so Jack obviously has aware of like Singularity University. I think you can go at 10x the speed now than you, than you could before. Uh, I mean, we wouldn't be having this podcast right now um, without technology. Um, we can reach out to so many different people with similar likes. So it's almost creating an environment of, of intellect and um, communication, but also making your life a lot more efficient. So um, I think it's positive. But before, before I lost a bit of signal, um, Jack was um, talking, we were also talking about um, the number of startups in the space. And that's interesting because in the UK, um, so Orca Health is one of the companies and they've set up app prescribing. So it almost helps health professionals um, to prescribe an app based on its validity, clinical effectiveness. Um, so I actually, with the, with the BSLM, the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine, we've actually set up our own, you working with Orca, our version of an app website. So uh, where physicians can almost prescribe apps to their patients via links through text, because that, that's the problem as a consumer, you hear, you're hearing um, so many different apps. There's, there's like so many for sleep, so many for nutrition. And you have limited knowledge. And even, even as a physician, you can't work out which one is the most efficacous. So I think Jack talked on about it brilliantly. Um, it's, it's about we need, we need a way of how these apps and wearables can be tailored towards different patients and consumers. Yeah, um, it's true. I think, I think, you know, just as you prescribe... Um, just as you prescribe things physically, you need to be able to prescribe things digitally. Yeah, um, yeah. But 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 also also I think you know the aim of an app in a way is to become redundant. <laughs> it's like so that you yeah. kind of learn how how to how to manage things yourself eventually. Um, so you know it's like a funny thing as a business model if you're if you're really if you're really relying on something as if there's something that's gone wrong <laughs> yeah so, exactly you, know, you don't that, if you're trying to really push the boundaries you can't do that without a coach you can't do that without yep. you know, a plan and uh you know that, that, that's a really good way of thinking about it is that not everyone can have a coach and a plan um so so they uh they can have an app yes it's like a minimum viable version of um you need to do one, coach. Yeah. yeah if if you can't afford a coach or but obviously um the, part of my lifestyle medicine training coaching has been shown to have such positive impacts on behavior change and um making those changes happen at an increasingly rapid rate and maintaining because a lot of it is we make these changes but um we relapse so it's preventing that relapse and i think that's where with your um chhp programs i'm guessing how are your clients um have you have you been able to transform a lot of lives uh, quite drastically well i don't know transform lives drastically i mean we do what we do uh you know um it's uh, we've never we've never published our uh, our work in a in the form of a sort of a trial uh, but we you know we do glue together 
best practice and good science in a way that isn't easily done um, just by everyone working together on the nutrition, the physiology, the sleep and the and the mind side. Um, and, you know, whether it's anecdote or not, we've been doing it okay for 11 years. And uh, we, we see a lot of people who we are very pleasantly surprised and so are they at their outcomes, which is great, you know, so if that's transforming people dramatically, then, um, then that's transforming people dramatically. Yeah. <laughs> we see it as, okay, we're really going back to the basics of how your body works, optimizing that just like you do in elite sport. Um, and yeah, if you win, uh, if you, if you, if you win, you know, three or four heavyweight boxing titles, and <laughs> you know no one had heard of you maybe maybe that's transforming your life if you're surviving an operation your surgeons and doctors have said you wouldn't survive unless you got fit maybe that's transforming your life but you know for us it's yeah. just this is this is our bread and butter so uh, um you know it's almost like for us it's kind of if you're if if you clearly are metabolically unwell and you can clearly see that you're traveling too much, eating at the wrong time, sleeping terribly, stressed, not giving your mind space, you know, that, all of those things. And you just return that back to normal. If that creates a dramatic change in someone's life, there are two things to learn from that. One is that there's an awful lot in medicine that is low-hanging fruit that's easy to achieve without inventing multi-billion yeah. dollar jobs, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And the second one is why the heck aren't health systems <laughs> banking yeah. on this? <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. so you know, those are the two questions that you know. I, I don't call it dramatic and transformative. I call it, you know, this is basically just good physiology. This is this is uh, you know what we should all be doing. Perhaps we just need a little bit of a nudge to get us to all be optimizing yeah. our disease outcomes, our health risks, or our performance as a result of just doing it and or remembering how to do it. Or, 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 you know, if we are pushing ourselves and burning the candle at two or three ends, um, how to get smart and wise to mitigate against that. Yeah, that's beautifully put, actually. Um, that's interesting you mentioned that because it seems like you're actually hitting the high value points with your CHHP clients and you know, not because there's a lot of, um, well, non-evidence-based um, in the wellness space, a lot of non-evidence-based um, kind of strategies, et cetera, which, which kind of focus on very minute parts with, with less value added to clients. Um, but having said that, actually, with technology, I don't know if you're aware of Lab 100, Mount Sinai, um, no. which has just been inaugurated, actually, um, just in beta version at the moment. So essentially there... Um, it's, it's kind of like a primary care service for um, kind of, opt well, like a health assessment. So you go in, it's completely technologically enabled where they test your power using um, virtual reality, your cognitive ability by performing some tasks. Um, they measure all your biometrics, your blood draw is taken there as well. The UX design is very Apple-based. Um, and then at the end, you have a dashboard, which um, I don't know if you're familiar with, um, kind of video games, um, kind of like a, a, a hexagon um, visual graphic, which tells you in which which uh, metrics you're performing well in, where you're lacking, and a lot of kind of graphs, et cetera. Um, so um, it's, it's, it's something which, but it seems very data orientated. Um, and a lot of the criticism of that has been that how applicable is that to the mass population? And yeah, I think, does it add value? I, mean, I think, I think 
you know, there's a couple of ways of gain, d- gaining data and evidence. There's a traditional way, which is really uh, gold standard, mm-hmm. randomized controlled trials, etc. Uh, then there's sort of like more, you know, heuristic, big data analytics, retrospective study, you know, um, which is uh, kind of the world of, the, it's basically how we run stock markets and advertising yeah. campaigns and so on. Um, and there's, there's a sort of a new thing which we can do now, which is, kind of you know high frequency individualized time series uh, analysis which yeah. w- which enable us to kind of make an assumption based on a lot of screening data and then put in an intervention which doesn't necessarily have if you want to call it evidence or at least the evidence is not been well studied in humans in randomized trials but maybe has some uh, prospective studies and yeah. so you know, weaker evidence behind it but if you can draw a, cro- a correlation a strong statistical correlation uh, in a crossover trial for an individual you know you try something their insulin goes down you take it away their insulin goes up you try it again the insulin goes down you try you know you put it back in the and uh, at some point you actually can power that study for that individual it doesn't mean that you're trying any weird science but what you're doing is you're really validating that your hypothesis is working or not and frankly all of medicine should be like that um, so if you know if, if, a, if a company like lab 100 or, or whoever is uh, taking a methodical approach and even if it's putting uh, together things that are um, uh, don't have a massively strong evidence base both the things that have got a strong evidence base and the things that haven't should still be studied vigorously and rigorously I, I I don't like medicine where you where you don't have um, an audit for the individual as to what's working and what's not. Um, however, how do you scale that? That's the big question. Yes. <laughs> how, how expensive is it? How much value does it add? If it adds, a, if it costs a million quid, um, and the person you know uh, has one quality adjusted life year um, added to their life. And you know you have to ask the question: Who's paying for that? Because you can't afford that in a population. Only a very rich individual would be able to afford that. So I think, um, you know, there are some economics here as to where you're adding value. Um, and you know, organisations like Human Longevity Inc. down in San Diego, actually, yeah. okay, um, you know, we're spending an enormous amount of uh, we're spending an enormous amount of resource and asking people to spend an enormous amount of private money of their own uh, in, in order to study and early catch things and project what's going to happen and put in interventions. Uh, and, you know, there's been a lot of questions uh, about that in terms of, you know, what's the, you know, is the business model sustainable? Are people getting real value out of that? People are, you know, like they, 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 they do ask questions of those things. Uh, ultimately for me, if you're going to do anything in research and medicine and apps and technology and innovation, it doesn't really matter. But what you have to do is you have to think about how it scales. You know, health systems need to not just do things for billionaires. They have to do things for the billions. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that those are the things that really hit the sweet spot for me. They can be applicable with a lot of resources around them for individuals that want a kind of tailored service, individualized and you know, every nuance covered by an expert, but ultimately you also need the thing to be, um, applicable and rolled out so that people have global access in some form to it. Uh, that's very eloquently put, actually. Um, and um, I guess that's where the usability and seamless design comes in and um, a way that people can comprehend and understand at a population level uh, technologies as well. Because we do hear a lot of um, 
for example, augmented reality um, is coming in. So people are saying even like we've discussed earlier, the smartphone might even get displaced. A lot of um, um, those kind of high end changes, but to get to a population level, there's always like a five, 10 year lag. Um, so what you're saying is almost, um, you have to obviously have ideas which add a lot of value. Um, they're within a certain threshold of cost that the person deems it um, achievable and affordable. Um, and it improves their quality of life. So it's almost kind of like a, a cost benefit analysis. Is that correct? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, ultimately, that's it. You know, yeah. why do we do all this stuff? It's yeah. to try and improve our health span. Some people want to increase yeah. their lifespan irrespective. But for me, yeah. it's increasing your health span. Um, and, uh, you know, it comes at a it comes at a price. And it's the the balance between what it costs you in time and money. Yeah. Um, and stress <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> what you gain out of it and and i think the responsibility is for every whether it's a drug whether it's a device whether it's an app yeah. uh, whether it's a service like ours yeah. uh, is to really kind of be honest to oneself and say yeah. is it adding value um rather than just flogging stuff and expecting it to to, to work and, and and actually a kind of that is in a sense a, a disadvantage with relying on maybe a uh, you know a gold standard study that was done on a hundred or a couple of hundred people 20 years ago does it actually work today in real life how well is it working you know we don't study stuff ongoing um i think the advantage with some of these new apps and so on is that they enable us to put an intervention in like let's say you know our intervention is we're going to look at your look at your calendar dr jack fit in places where you should be doing this that and the other and we'll look at some some reliable biomarker of aging or the pace of aging or your energy levels or your mood or something mm. sugar levels i don't know um and and not just say that was good practice go do it forever but actually look every single day is it working is it not aggregate that have you changed things how do you compare to others and so it's like it's not only doing the initial upfront work to validate your claim but then to make sure that you're continually revalidating your claim the whole time so it's reinforcing your the, the kind of positive outcomes you're getting as well, well so you're, re, you're reinforcing your yeah, motivation reinforcing you're reinforcing the, the, your own knowledge as to whether your yeah. app is working. For it's working or not, exactly. And so you actually touched on uh, glucose monitoring. So, I mean, that's a, um, I'm sure in the tech circle, it's a very hot, hot topic right now. Um, but do you think with technology, Singularity University seems to preach um, this kind of, there's not, it, don't think of linear growth, think exponentially. So in five years' time, um, the amount of information we'll have and know and the devices and capacity of processing power will be become so great so quickly that we almost being innovators or trying to have an impact in prevention you almost have to think ahead of the curve um, um, but whilst lifestyle medicine a lot of it is the core principles of you know moving eating healthily it's kind of a lot of um, broad-based rules that people apply to their lives um, do you think um, with technologies like glucose monitoring um, coming in, continuous glucose monitoring, um, it will have an effect on, so because people can know what foods they eat and how it affects their insulin response. Do you think it could have kind of seismic changes in, in population levels of diabetes? <laughs> um, maybe. 
<laughs> yeah. It's a hard one. It's a tough one. Uh, uh, I, I, I think the, the key thing is that most people are interested in uh, things once they've gone wrong, mostly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then even then, it's a struggle for a lot of people to change their lives and adhere to medicines. And it's, uh, just by knowing more data, are you really going to change? Um, I think some people will and some people won't. Um, and. Uh, you know, finding cheap ways of really understanding what your numbers are that are continually there and is going to, you know, create more data, which I think uh, will we'll obviously have an impact. But, you know, fundamentally, we have to have the motivation to change. You've got to feel things that, you know, the problem is with diabetes is this, is that pre-diabetes, you kind of, your sugars are actually below the level at which someone will prescribe an anti-diabetic and a hyper, yeah. uh, like a, like, you know, metformin or yeah. whatever. Um, but your insulins can be much higher for years, but there's no drug for prescription or reimbursement code for high insulin. Yep. So it's like, I'm not diabetic. I'm not diabetic. And yet, you know, you're, and then suddenly you become diabetic. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's like, it's an interesting one. I, I, I cannot wait for near infrared spectroscopy and other things where you know, we'll be able to have something on our wrist that will tell people in the know that they're overstressed, they're producing insulin, they're producing too much cortisol, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, chill out, calm down, and actually somehow calculate how much years in their life they've just, you know, yeah. re reclaimed as a result of doing that, making that difference. Um, but there's a vast majority of people who have e are even diabetic and can visibly see it every time they look in a mirror or stand on a scale, mm. and yet they still won't change. So does continuously telling them, you've got something wrong, you've got something wrong, uh, going to change them? No. There's something else which kind of needs to be the feeling of feeling better about your life. Yes. When you see a bad number, you go and do something about it, you, feel, you see the number change, you feel better, then you go and do it again. How do you do that with something like blood pressure? How do you do that with something mm. like blood sugar? It's a tricky one. It's an interesting one. It's the behavioral question. Mm. It's a big one. It's one that, you know, with resistant cases, we see a lot of that here. Um, it comes back down to coaching. It comes back down to another pair of ears and eyes, another another voice that you can hear that can help you, uh, you know, coach your way into um, taking this uh, more seriously and putting it as a priority in your life then you start seeing changes after a long time then you think oh why the heck didn't i do this before sounds like a big part of that is like a social reward system where uh the the patient can get some sort of uh validation or satisfaction from somebody else like complimenting or you know clapping their hands or showing that hey look you're doing the right thing i i yeah you yeah, you're right. You can get that from you can get that from the group. You can get that from the crowd. You can get that from buddies. You can get that from you know uh, a coach who's you know someone who's physically you see every every, every you know every day or week or whatever. Uh, it, the, the, you know we're humans. We're social creatures. We we like that. Uh, there is a flocking kind of mentality, and and we and, mm. we like to do things as teams. Um, <clears throat> and there there is a huge part of that i i'd say it's one of the grand challenges in healthcare is getting individuals to do that more and more as opposed to relying on massive support structures um uh, but yeah is just simply mo measuring a new biomarker going to make people oh. change not so in my experience not yeah. in although i haven't said that something like a watch yeah. you know look at my heart rate heart rate variability for my little apple i watch now yeah. 
uh, one of my friends founded Empatica, the guys that you oh, know, nice. do, do, the, do the wrist-worn monitor that's got FDA approval for early warning and detection okay. of epilepsy and 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 uh, you know from a number of different biomarkers and uh, oh, wow. really incredible but you know there are people like me out there who are quantified selfers perhaps yeah. more than they are kind of waiting for <laughs> a things to happen <laughs> um you know so, but i think i think the grand challenge in healthcare is what can we do for the people that wouldn't normally engage with mm, them yeah so try and find this intrinsic incentivizing people and motivating them, but most through the macro environment almost because I think enabling environments make a difference. Because if you're walking out and you're seeing all these processed foods, you're inevitably, unless you are a very strong driver to be healthy or some kind of advantage of being healthy, uh, work-related or financial objective or aesthetic, um, I think most people just opt for that option or the easy option. Um, so I think, yeah, you're right. The crux of that is in behavior um, management. Um, and so with, with social network, um, social networks, um, I think people are getting, there's more of an awareness around health and the positive impacts. But um, you're right, you need you need that behavior coach or that social environment. To Harun, do you wanna? So, hey, do you wanna just send it off? Um, we can, th- Dr. Jack, thank you for your time. Um, I know you're, you're uh, you gotta get going. Um, would you be okay sometime down the road even coming back on so that we can continue the discussion? Yeah, absolutely. And maybe maybe see you guys down in November in San Diego. You should uh, come to Exponential Medicine. It's uh, great. You know, we always have such a great gathering of people that are really sort of carving out the future of, uh, of medicine. And, and uh, you know, it would be lovely to see you maybe down down in sunny California. <laughs> yeah, I'd love it. I, I think it would be a great or, opportunity. Or rainy Manchester. What about rainy Manchester? <laughs> well, there we go. Very attractive. Choices, yeah. I'd love to introduce you to Royon, too, since he's here in San Diego at that time. It would be a great opportunity to get Yeah, he, he would love to meet you. I mean, I think he would love to probably even have you on a lot of the academic calls they do as well. I mean, you could add a lot of insight. Um, but Jack, brilliant talking to you. Um, always inspiring. Um, learned a lot as always. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. I'm glad to have you as a mentor. Um, and um, um, we will get you back for further podcasts.